Good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Luke the 19th chapter, I want to start reading a set of passages there this morning. Luke the 19th chapter, and I'm going to start reading in verse 28. I'll give you a second to get there. It's probably a very familiar passage uh, to you, probably one that you've read before, I'm sure. Uh, it's about the, uh, some people call it the triumphal entry of Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem uh, for, the, uh, for the last time uh, before the events of the crucifixion are about to begin. And in verse 28 of Luke, the 19th chapter, it says, And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, wherein ye, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. So again, probably a very familiar passage of Scripture if you've read children's books or anything like that. I can remember seeing pictures of Jesus uh, riding on this, uh, you know, this uh, small donkey. And as he's riding down the streets, there are people that are, uh, the other Gospels tell us, there are people that came and uh, they would cut limbs, uh, palm limbs, and they would lay the palms in front of the donkey as Jesus rode. And they would take their jackets and their garments and they would lay them in the path. And Jesus comes in and this, uh, as he comes down this path with all these garments and leaves covered the path just as a sign of honor and respect. Uh, there are multitudes around him. And they're praising God. They're saying, uh, you know, praise the Lord, uh, Hosanna in the highest, things like that. Now, it's interesting to me that, uh, you know, most of the time that Jesus was walking uh, on the earth and he was teaching, uh, most of the time he was he was having to he was finding himself in situations where he had to pass through the midst of a crowd that wanted to kill him or uh, he was being rebuked or being, you know, mocked or whatever. But in this case, it's one of the times where we actually see him getting a form of uh, public praise. And even in this form of public praise, it's, I mean, I don't mean, you know, to to be ugly about it, but it's kind of a sad display of public praise, right? All right, Jesus, instead of here is your great, uh, you know, massive, you know, white stallion to ride down on with a robe. And we're going to lay, you know, we're going to line the streets with roses and, and gold and things like that. Uh, it's a, here's a, here's a little donkey and we're going to throw our garments in the way and our leaves, but they're, they're, they're praising him. I think that goes to teach us that, you know, even when we're praising the Lord, the best we know how we really fall short of what he's worthy of. 
So that's the scene. Jesus is riding down through here and all these people are praising the Lord. And it's a, it's a great scene. It's, a, it's be wonderful to see. But there are some Pharisees there that the more they hear the praises of the Lord being sung, the more irritated they get. And so much so that they go up to the Lord and they say, listen, Lord, would you please tell your disciples and all these people to hush? Would you rebuke them and tell them to be quiet? And the Lord says something to him that's very interesting to me. And he tells them when they say rebuke thy disciples, he says, I tell you that if they should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, when I was a child, um, you know, I used to, uh, to hear that and I used to, you know, visualize a, a rock over there just being what a, what a rock is. And then just all of a sudden it getting eyes and a mouth and saying, praise God, you know. Now, listen, and that could absolutely happen. You know, if the Lord can make a, a Balaam's donkey talk, he can he can he can make a rock talk. Right. right. And so I have I have, uh, you know, no doubt in my mind if that's what it came to. And the Lord wanted to make a rock, a tree, the ocean, a pile of dirt or whatever. Praise him. He will. Right. But it's an interesting statement there. And I imagine his disciples and I imagine the Pharisees thought, what? You're telling me that if, if, if we get all these people to hush and everybody holds their praise and they don't give it to you in a public way that these rocks are going to cry out and start praising you. Now, one lesson that we can learn from that is this, is the Lord will be praised. All right. You hear me? The Lord will be praised. He is not going to go a day on this earth without something praising him. And don't forget in Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, it tells us that you are a people formed that you should praise him. All right. So where does the Lord expect that praise to come from? Not from the rocks. Now, listen, I know the heavens declare his handiwork and certainly creation uh, testifies to his greatness. But we are a people that were formed to praise him. But do we? Do we really praise him? Do we really, with a sincere and genuine heart, praise the Lord? But sometimes, absolutely, yes. But don't we get a little robotic and mechanical sometimes? You know, and uh, you know, I was telling uh, somebody that day, I said, you know, we sit down and we ask the blessing. And it's, it's, listen, it's hard to be sincere sometimes when you ask the Lord to bless your food when your pantry's full and you can go to a restaurant and get the biggest steak you want and get up and go to the next restaurant and get the biggest steak you want when there's an abundance it's hard to praise the lord but if you are dependent on the lord bringing something by you for you to harvest so you could survive another day it's a lot easier to praise him so the more blessed we are the more robotic and mechanical we tend to get with our praise And the Lord is making a point here and he says, listen, I'm going to be praised. Even if the people that I formed to praise me, even if they are silent, I will be praised. Now, I want to look at a couple of examples of that in the Bible. If you uh, want to turn over, you don't have to. You can just jot it down into Daniel, the third chapter. Another very familiar passage of scripture. If you remember, there's a man named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar gets this idea that he is going to fashion an image of gold, right? And he fashions the image of gold and he makes a decree in Daniel, the third chapter. And he says, uh, then a herald cried aloud to you. It is commanded, O people, nations and languages. 
He doesn't say to just whoever agrees with me, to whoever believes what I believe, to whoever, you know, he says everybody, everybody of whatever people, whatever nation, whatever language you are of. All right. This is a government uh, forced religion. Okay. This would be like our state saying this is what you have to do uh, when it comes to worship. You have to do this. You have to do it at this time and you have to do it to this person or to this thing. And it says, at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worship shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a fiery furnace. And so what happens is, you know the deal, that all of these instruments begin to sound. Now the situation at hand is, it looks pretty dire, Right. In that here's an image, it's a false god, and you're going to be given a cue, and on this cue, you're to bow down and you're to worship this. All right, now what is Nebuchadnezzar trying to do? He's, he's, a, he's a worship hog, right? He's saying all worship must be on this image of gold I set up, and only this image of gold I've set up, and no more. What's he trying to do? He's trying to do the same things that the Pharisees tried to do in Luke the 19th chapter. He's trying to silence the praise of anything but this image. This is the only thing that will be praised. And you know the story that uh, there are three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that still continue to praise God in the midst of this. Right? In the midst of all this, when he's trying to silence any praise to anything, including God, there's three Hebrew boys who stand up and continue to praise God. So what does Nebuchadnezzar try to do? He tries to silence that. And he takes those three boys and he throws them into the fiery furnace. We know the story, right? Throws them into the fiery furnace. And then this is what happens. Now, I want you to think about this. What did Jesus say in Luke, the 19th chapter? If these hold their peace, if I cannot find praise coming off the lips of any man, that the rocks and the stones are going to cry out. Are you with me? And so Nebuchadnezzar sets up a situation where there is no praising of God. The only three that are praising God, he throws into the fiery furnace. Now, The story, the account goes that he sees one in there that's, uh, that uh, is like the son of God walking in the midst. And it says, he answered and said, lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. And some of you may be thinking, oh, yeah, the Lord raised up three Hebrew boys. And in the midst of all of this, trying to silence praise of the Lord, there were three Hebrew boys that still praised God. That's not the point I want you to get. The point I want you to get is there is a rock hard stone right here whose name is Nebuchadnezzar who said you will not praise God. If you do praise God, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to burn you alive. Does anybody want to guess who sings the praises of God the loudest? It's that man. Do you see how the Lord drew the lips of praise off a rock hard man? And so in a situation here, Nebuchadnezzar says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any God except their own. And listen, he's a man that likes to make decrees. 
His, his, the, the, the decree he just made was if you don't praise this image and if you praise anything else, I'm going to kill you. But then he makes a new decree and it says every people, nation and language sound familiar, which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Do you see the rock singing praise? Amen. Can you see that? Do you see this man who is trying to silence the praise of God, who is totally anti and against it, but God is all powerful and he draws that praise off the lips of one of the hardest men of that time. Amen. That's God. Amen. Now let's go to another one. Do you remember there's another time you can flip over in Daniel, the sixth chapter. There's another time in a very similar situation where King Darius makes a decree that for 30 days, 30 days, I do not want to hear any praise. I do not want anybody praying to anything or anybody except me. That's what King Darius, the decree that he made. What does Daniel do? Daniel, knowing that decree, goes up into his room and he's seen praying three different times. To somebody other than Darius. And the decree was that anybody that was praying to anybody during that 30 days other than Darius was going to be thrown into the lion's den. They were a vicious people, were they not? We're going to cut you in pieces. We're going to burn you to death. We're going to have lions eat you. They were vicious. They were serious about silencing God's praise. Darius has Daniel thrown into the lion's den. Because Daniel, as far as we know, was the only one in that time who was not willing to stop praising the Lord. And so Darius has to silence him because we're not going to put up with God's praise being made public. And then he goes the next morning, they roll the stone away and there Daniel sits. And he says to Darius, my God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouths and they have not hurt me. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then the king was exceeding glad for him and commanded they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him. Upon him. Then King Darius wrote again. Does this sound familiar? Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations and languages that dwell in the earth. The very man that said for 30 days, you will not praise God. He wrote on all the earth. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God and steadfast forever and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed in his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth. And rescueth, and he worked the signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lion's den. Do y'all see that? Can y'all see that? Can you imagine the angels going up to the Lord and saying, Lord, we've got, we've got some men down here. We've got Nebuchadnezzar. Lord, and he says, nobody can praise you or he's going to burn them alive. Lord, we've got a man named Darius that says, nobody can worship, pray to you for 30 days or they're going to be eaten by lions. And God says, watch. Watch those two very the two men who said 
you will not praise God. I'm about to pull that praise from their lips. Now, that's an impressive God to me. Let me give you one more here. Matthew, the 27th chapter. The scene that you've got here, this is probably my favorite. The scene that you've got here. Is the crucifixion scene. All right. Now, at this time, uh, the, the, the majority of the people are uh, supporting the crucifixion of Jesus. How do we know that? Because afterward, the crucifixion of Jesus, we can only have a record of 120 being gathered together. Jesus is hanging on a cross. He's being jeered at. He's being mocked. He's been beaten. He's been crowned with thorns. He's been uh, crucified and hung on a cross. And why? Because he claimed to be the son of God. All right. Now, we know why he was hanging on that cross. It was to pay for the sins of his people. But from a legal perspective and from the Roman and the Jewish view, why was he on that cross? Because he claimed to be the son of God. Right. He says, you know, the reason we're stoning you, I mean, the reason uh, uh, we are crucifying you is because we have a law that this is what the Jews told Pilate. We have a law, Pilate, that if he makes himself and declares himself to be the God or the son of God, that he's got to die. So that's the sentence put upon him is you're going to die because you made yourself the son of God. Now, what would you not do? What would you not do if you were kind of a wishy-washy uh, Christian right here? You wouldn't be going around saying, you know what, I think he is the son of God. Because the majority of, pe- of the people there are angry and they're mad and this Jewish mob had so much momentum, you probably kept quiet. How do we know that? Because in the garden, what did all the apostles do? They fled. They were scared. They've taken this man that we supposed to be a king and they're doing all these things to him. And he doesn't appear to be fighting back. What's going on? We better keep our mouth shut. And so he's hanging on the cross. And the Bible tells us that there are Roman centurions guarding him, right? They're standing around him. Why would that be? I rather suspect it's one, because they wanted to enjoy the show. But two, probably to keep anybody or another mob from coming and taking him down. Right. Because when Jesus was buried, they put guards there so they wouldn't come steal the body and uh, and then spread the word that he had risen. So they are so determined that Jesus is going to die on the cross. They've got Roman centurions standing around him, possibly to keep the mob from coming and helping him and getting him off the cross. Right. And these Roman centurions are they're casting lots for his garments. They're mocking him. They're cussing at him. They're spitting at him. Right. They're laughing. What a horrible scene. And I suspect the guards that you put up there probably were not the rookies. If it were me, I would have put my best. I would have put the biggest and the strongest and the meanest guards up there to protect the man that we finally, finally got on the cross. And we don't want to mess this up. And it says, Now the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calls for Elias. And straightway, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. 
And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept rose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. You see that, that incredible scene right there? All right, now, there's a Roman soldier here that the Bible tells us is facing the cross. He's looking at the cross. Again, let's go back to the scene in heaven with the angels going up to God the Father, saying, Lord, do you see your son on the cross? Do you see the men that are mocking him? These corrupt, immoral, uh, uh, mortal men that are mocking him, standing there with spears and swords to keep anybody from coming and taking him off? Do you see what they're doing to your son? And again, can you imagine the Lord saying, just watch, just watch. And they came out of the graves after his resurrection. It says, when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying what? Truly, this was the son of God. I hope y'all can see that picture. Here are three different men that have no interest in praising God. As a matter of fact, they're antagonistic to the very idea. All three of these men have gone to great lengths to silence the praise of God. But do you see how the Lord drew the lip, drew off of their lips the very praise that he said, I will not go without? You see, the Lord told those Pharisees, I can tell these guys, I, I, I like to think of it this way. Pharisees, Lord, rebuke thy disciples. And he could have said it this way. If they hold their peace, I'll draw that praise off of your lips. Really? Now, why don't I preach something like this? One, I hope the Lord never has to draw praise off of my lips. I hope I offer it willingly. I hope you offer it willingly. But listen, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged when you see the powers that be in our lives be so antagonistic to the praise of God. Right? When they take him out of our schools, when they, when they pass laws that just are an abomination in the sight of God, and they have no interest in praising God and are, seem to be heading towards the direction where they don't want us praising Him either. Because what you just might find is one day maybe the President or Congress or the Speaker of the House or whoever, with tears in their eyes, calling a press conference so that all the people, languages, and nations could hear them make a decree praising God. That's a very real possibility because I've seen it happen in the Bible time after time after time. Do you know some of these men that were trying to take Jesus all the while when they were, uh, when they were arresting Him and doing all these things to Him, all the while without even knowing it, they were praising Him? Did you, do you know when they were standing there and Pilate's there and Pilate says, who do you want? You know, Jesus or Barabbas? And they say, give us Jesus. I mean, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And Pilate's like, well, that's on you. You know what they say? His blood be on us. They didn't even know that they were praising him. Because that's the very thing that he was going to do is to uh, pay for their sins with his blood. Yeah, his blood was going to be on a lot of them. Now, one witness that God is all-powerful and that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and He is the one and only true living God. One witness to that is He is able to pull praise off the lips of the very lips of the men that are trying to silence Him. Now that's powerful to me. So I don't walk through this world shaken and scared 
that as God's people, we got to cower down. Because if God, when God is good and ready, and when God has a mind to, He can make the hardest heart in this world sing His praises. And make public decrees like none of us have probably ever made. That's encouraging to me, and I hope it's encouraging to you. I hope it's been profitable, and please pray for Brother Tim as he comes.